Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. As a child of a New Yorker and an upper New Jerseyan, I grew up with a deep knowledge of taking public transportation. I lived in Los Angeles for 13 years and used public transportation for 12 of them. Anyone who is currently living in a city with a robust mass transit system can tell you it is a benefit to all. Here in Nashville, our main form of public transit is WeGo, our bus system. On today's Citizen Nashville, we'll get a better understanding of what it's like for folks living in this town without a car. And then we'll bring in a few experts working to make the city accessible and to everyone and to answer your questions. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. But first, right now, by law, trans students in Tennessee are not allowed to use the bathroom that aligns with their gender. Now, most Metro Nashville schools are not enforcing it. The two Wilson County families who sued last year have given up their fight for their trans children. They moved out of state. And now the lawsuit has been dismissed. WPLN reporter Mariana Bacchiao is reporting on this and she joins us now. Mariana, good afternoon. Welcome to the show. Good to be here. So first, catch us up. This bill that signed into law by Governor Lee last May, what's in it? Well, it essentially prohibits trans students from using the bathroom that aligns with their gender. So the specific language of the law uh, denotes, you know, biological sex. Um, And it's a law that the clear, like, intention of it Mm -hmm. from lawmakers is to make trans students use a bathroom that doesn't align with their gender. But in reality, you know, a lot of trans students... (laughs) just don't use the bathroom at school. They try to avoid drinking a lot of water. They wait until after school. They hold it for that long till they can get to the nearest bathroom that they can use. I mean, middle and high school are hard enough. Wow. I mean, so how have students, have they adjusted to these rules? From your reporting, do you feel like you've gotten a sense of what life has been like for them? Yeah, I hear from a lot of parents of trans and non-binary students who, like I said, they would rather wait than use the bathroom. And yeah, middle school and high school are very harrowing experiences. And that that level of shame and discomfort is such a big motivator for them to just avoid that part of the school. So as I mentioned, two Wilson County families that sued the state over bathroom access for their children. You spoke with Amy Allen, whose son Adam was experiencing some of these difficulties in his middle school. What did she tell you? Well, she said, uh, you know, she noticed him just not being his usual upbeat self. But then after he came out to her and then the family and then by the end of sixth grade, he was out at his school. He was... Uh, using the name Adam and he, him pronouns. And largely a lot of his friends and other students were uh, relatively accepting of that. And, you know, that had a very positive impact on his mental health. But at his school, he could either use uh, a bathroom that did not align with his gender or specifically the nurse's bathroom, I think was the only 
uh, gender neutral bathroom that he could use, but mm. it was so far away from his classes and just, you know, that feeling of alienation of, uh, having to go out of your way to comply with something like that, you know, he'd rather just hold it. What, what did she, what did Adam's mom share with you about the difficulty she had in reaching out to lawmakers? Yes. Um, she was definitely talking a lot about being the activist mom when she was here in Tennessee. Um, she tried to reach out to her own legislators uh, when COVID hit and most of those meetings were happening over Zoom. You know, she said a lot of her legislators didn't show up. She tried to organize a meeting with Tennessee Attorney General Herbert Slatery, which fell through. Uh, she wrote a lot of letters that weren't returned. And then, of course, seeing what lawmakers are passing out of the legislature anyway, this overall feeling that the lawmakers in charge of making these rules have not really spoken with trans kids or the families of trans kids. Mm. So what did she decide to do next? Uh, well, she signed on to this lawsuit that's backed by the human rights campaign. She signed on with another uh, family that's also in Wilson County schools. Um, the other family had a trans daughter who was in elementary school. Alan's son uh, was in middle school, transitioning to high school at the time. And I guess looking at this case, I was always wondering, um, you know, somebody who signs their name onto a lawsuit like that, you can expect to stay in the state and fight that out. You've attached your name to that. So I wondered, you know, what had to have happened for somebody who'd made that commitment to then leave the state. Uh, but when I spoke with her, that option to leave the state was actually what got her to sign on to the lawsuit. Mm. Her family sort of always had in the back of their mind, if things get bad here, we can always leave. We have job offers other places. Um, so they relocated to Massachusetts now and are having a better time in schools for their sons. Now, you, we have some tape of you talking to her about that. Let's hear it. What does it say? I guess it says, too bad for Tennessee. When people, you know, ask me if I miss Tennessee, I say, you know, I miss my friends, but Tennessee broke my heart. It's a wonderful place full of so many wonderful people who, if they were paying attention to what the legislature does, um, would be horrified. Now, on that note, this certainly is not the only anti-trans bill at play here. Specifically, there's another bathroom bill that would have required some kind of warning sign, right? Yes, this bill was passed in the same legislative session in 2021 as the school bathroom bill. Um this one never really went into effect. A judge had a temporary injunction against it because there was immediately a legal challenge. But it would essentially required businesses and schools, other public places to have a bright yellow and red warning sign if they allow trans people to use the gen or to use the bathroom that aligns with their gender. Um, and uh, Bongo Java, mm -hmm. the owner of Bongo Java sued. Um, and ultimately that law was thrown out. I can see like this in my imagination, what's coming to me is this big hazmat sign in front of the bathroom, which is, I feel a little extra. Yeah. Which if you're a business who is trans friendly, yeah. 
that doesn't create a welcoming environment for your clientele. And that was essentially uh, the plaintiff's argument in that case. With that in mind, what do you think citizens don't really understand about legislation like these two bills? Well, um, I think these bills stand out. There's a lot of measures from this past legislative session and the legislative session before that that sort of target gender expression. And I think if you're a cisgender person and you're looking at that, you're thinking that has nothing to do with me. Um, even, even if you're a trans advocate, you kind of think this has nothing to do with me. But the truth is that like laws restricting gender expression, they don't always know who's trans and who's not. Um, if you know, a woman who doesn't really conform to gender norms could be asked to leave the bathroom. Uh, when we when we limit gender expression, it's not just trans people who are at risk. Mm. Now, back to the case. Now that the lawsuit has been dismissed, what do you think will happen next? Well, almost all of the anti-trans measures coming out of the legislature have had some sort of legal challenge for the ban on trans athletes in public schools. There's... Um, a trans boy in Knoxville who's suing to be able to play on his uh, team's golf or his uh, school's golf team. And I mean, there's a there's a lot of families who when I was talking to Amy Allen, she talked about the luxury of being able to move states um, so easily when you have a trans kid that you want to protect. And a lot of families in Tennessee they don't have that. When I talk to those families, like it's their children oftentimes are just waiting, you know, until they can go away to college to leave the state. And mm. a lot of those people aren't coming back. Um, hmm. You think about the, <clears throat> the long term effects and the talent and the brain power and the people who could actually make change that we're losing because of this. Yeah, the people we're losing, but also the people who aren't moving to Tennessee because of that. Mm. Now, do you think other families will come forward. I I think it's a strong possibility. Again, looking at all of the people who are staying here, are choosing to fight all of the um, legal challenges to these laws. I think it's a matter of time. And, you know, this case was only dismissed because the plaintiffs left, not because there wasn't a case there. Mm -hmm. So somebody else could take it up at any time. That is reporter Mariana Bacayao. You can find her story at WPLN.org. Mariana, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Khalil. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll get on the bus with a special citizen Nashville about our city's public transit, transit system. Are you living in Nashville without a car? What's it like getting around? What would you like to see change? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Colonna, and this is Citizen Nashville. We've talked a lot here at WPLN News about how to serve you, our communities, better. So a few times a month, we're bringing you a special hour we're calling Citizen Nashville. Our goal is to answer your questions, round up resources for you, and make sure our leaders hear your needs loud and clear. Today, we're talking about public transportation. Tweet us your experiences navigating this city at This Is Nashville. 
Now, Nashville is not a city known for public transportation, and it seems that nearly everyone has an opinion on what needs to improve. There is an impressive lack of sidewalks, bus routes, and bike lanes, among other challenges. Options may be limited, but for many, the public transport options are that we do have are very, very essential. For others, riding the bus is a bold lifestyle choice. We sent our producer, Tasha A.F. Lemley, to see what it's like for folks who navigate this city without a car keys, relying on WeGo, like Stacey Irvin. She lives with multiple sclerosis and recorded her first trip on WeGo Access, a publicly funded service for people with disabilities. Okay, here I go. They're here early. I'm doing well. How are you? Awesome. So you're locking me in. Yes, ma'am. Cool. So you don't blow away. (laughs) It is such a gorgeous day today. I'm really excited about getting out in the sun by the lake and connecting with my friend Brenda and I just am so happy to have gotten to use public transportation to do it. This is really wonderful. Great new way to explore Nashville. Even though there was a bit of a GPS hiccup on Stacy's ride, she did get to Radnor Lake just fine. Natasha Wilson's public transportation experience hasn't been as smooth though. Natasha is a trafficking survivor and advocate who's recently been experiencing homelessness. She calls 10 minutes before we were set to meet, and my heart sinks. The bus just left me, she yells. I was coming all the way from um, Roselle Parks, um, from that area, and every time I check my phone, it says, like, uh, the bus will come at a certain time. So I was like, okay. So it tells me to get on the bus stop at 101 because I'm gonna have to get on the 22, which the 22 is gonna take me downtown. And then I will have to get on the 28, which 28 was gonna take us to the previous meeting spot was the park. So I was like, oh, and they says on my phone that I would get to the park at 127. And I didn't have to walk too much because it'll drop me right off. I was like, oh, that's perfect. But when she got downtown, she couldn't for the life of her find the 28. So she asked a bus driver for help. They were just like, go out there, they'll help you. Okay. So now I'm looking, plan where's Waldo, because now I'm looking for where's 28. And the signs don't help. Our bay numbers and bus numbers, well, they don't align. So I finally just walked up to some random little person in the purple chair, like, look, I am looking for bus 20, uh, 28. He was like, looked at his watch. It's, down, it's downstairs at bay 21, but it just left. Natasha needs the bus system to survive. She's working hard to heal, stabilize her situation, and get her needs met, all without the benefit of a car. Of course, the benefit of a car depends on maintenance of that car. Uh, There's something that your listeners need to know. There's something called a timing belt. Who knew? That's Nashville native Roger Wiesmeyer. He used to get around by car until about seven years ago. I was driving down Harding Road and the middle of the road, and the car stopped. And... uh, it would have been way more to fix the car than it was worth. And this is about the time that Uber and Lyft started. And I, I live uh, two and a half miles from downtown, which is where I work. And so it was just a pretty easy thing. Uh, uh, you know, I can take the bus when I need to, if I'm running late or 
if I need to go someplace besides my place of work, uh, I could I, I could take Uber and Lyft, and I can depend on the kindness of, of friends. Uh, you know, call somebody and say, "Hey, I need to go shopping. Can we can we go do this?" So for Roger, it's been seven years in Nashville without keys by choice. He says he recognizes his privilege in working from home now. He loves walking, he loves the bus, and he loves chatting with his rideshare drivers. He makes it work. He doesn't want to go back. I can honestly say I don't miss having a car. Like Roger, Ginny Ware was born in Nashville. She says it's a shame that public transportation here hasn't improved much. She's used it for years. I don't know that I even necessarily want to drive anymore. Uh, Of course, I'm not allowed to. I, I have DUIs. Ginny's in recovery, on disability, looking for stable housing, and she suddenly lost her mother to cancer. It's all been a lot. She says she could get a restricted license and the car modifications that would allow her to drive. But the cost per month because of her charges would cost more than rideshare, cabs, and bus fees combined. Ginny needs the bus to survive. She wishes routes were more frequent and had more of a presence in subdivisions and lower income areas where sometimes people have to walk a mile or more to get to a stop. Without keys, it's a challenge. You know, it's like if I want to get to an AA meeting, you know, I have to take a bus and walk 20 minutes to the meeting place, you know. Um, how do you get better? How do you, how do you um, move forward with your life? It's just, it's hard. A big part of her healing process are the pets she took on after her mom died. But even that, without a car, it's been hard to keep up. I have to go to Whole Foods and get his cat food. <laughs> I'm like, you would want food from Whole Foods. We raised you right. But, uh, so you get on the bus or he'll I ride the bus to go and buy $1.99 organic cat food for the cat, yes. But it takes great. me about three hours round trip to go get this cat cat food, yes. Three hours round trip for cat food. That is wild. I don't know about my cats. They might have to just feed on the rabbits in the neighborhood, which they've proven to be quite good at. Now, I want to my my next guest. I know that can relate to all of this. Christopher Floor is an exceptional education coach in Nashville who has never owned a car. Chris, welcome to This is Nashville. Hi, how are you doing? It's good to be here. I'm doing great, man. Thanks to have you with us. So you know what it's like to get around. It takes you longer than your friends or coworkers. Tell me, Chris, how have you learned to build in more time for your transportation? Well, so one, I do want to say that that that's not always true uh, based on how I'm choosing to travel. But yes, you do have to generally be aware of what your commute is going to be during the day and really know the systems that you're using. So if you're going to be using Lyft, you need to know how Lyft is operating. You need to know how the prices work and how the wait times work. If you're on the bus, you need to know the bus system. You need to know where the buses are coming out of which routes, the frequency that they're coming at, the length of the commute. And, you know, once you learn the systems, and I mean in a comprehensive way, then I think it become it begins to feel a lot more accessible than it might be if you're not used to using the routes every single day. So a little bit of study and you're good to go. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And I also think that over time, just given with like, you know, when I first moved here, we didn't have Lyft. And so with the introduction of Lyft and even the Lyft scooters that are around and the different like scooter companies, uh, the city has become more and more accessible as each year goes by. However, we still do have a long way to go. Now, am I right that you've never owned a car? 
I've never owned a car. What made you? And in fact, I've never had a driver's license. Fun ne fact. Never had a driver's license. Well, that's a considerable burden that's like lifted <laughs> off of you. Now, so you've lived in Nashville for a decade. What, 10 years, yep. So what, what's your experience like when you first moved here? What was it like getting around? So when I first, so I came down here through Teach for America, and, and I remember when I was going through the induction process, some of the folks at TFA were like, how is he going to do this? Is this going to work? Uh, and I some of that, I think, maybe just be by the grace of God, because I was able to find an apartment downtown. That may not be possible on a teacher's salary today, mm. but I lived downtown in Capitol Towers, a block away from the bus station. And then uh, the school that I got hired at, JT Moore, was actually at the very end of the eight bus line. So most of the routes on the number eight to Lipscomb ended around at Lipscomb University. And so from there, I could walk two blocks and be at my job. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it, this is wild. And this would and shout out to our Jersey connection, by the way, because uh, I'm also from North Jersey. And so I think that's a, has a lot to do with this. Trenton but this would never <laughs> Absolutely. But, but this would never happen. So the bus driver at the time, uh, knowing that she had to drive to JT Moore for her 930 route, would actually go off route and drop me off at work. Wow. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And so that was a very like welcome to the South kind of moment for me. Um, and I, I worked at that school for five years. Eventually, I did develop a carpool strategy. And so I was commuting with uh, one of my coworkers, my my assistant principal at the time, Robin. She would have to drop her son off and she would come and get me. We would drop her son off and then we would go to work together, have our morning meeting and we would get our day started. OK. Uh, and then any variation from that. And I was taking the bus uh, the way I normally would. OK. Now, I've never had a bus driver drop me, go the extra mile to drop me off someplace <laughs> specifically. But I have had a bus driver stop and get themselves some takeout food from an amazing Jamaican restaurant in Los Angeles. Uh, the bus was full and we waited for 15 extra minutes. So I'd like to bring in my next guest, Ron Wynn. He is a freelance writer who also gets around without a car. Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So how do you live without a car? <laughs> well, uh, I've gotten used to it over time. I've, I've been riding the bus now uh, well over a decade. And I did have a car when I first came back to Nashville. Uh, my car got stolen. Oh. And uh, while I was trying to decide whether to get another one or not, I started riding the bus. And then I got used to riding the bus. And I said, well, maybe I'll just keep riding the bus. And now I've been doing this so long till it's just a regular part of my life. So what has the experience been like for you? Well, it's actually gotten better over time. Uh, the bus service here was not very good when I started. It's much better now. They have more uh, more routes. Uh, they go longer. And I've been fortunate enough to live close to bus lines. Now, that, that's one of the things that I, I will say is important. Mm -hmm. If you don't live close to a bus line, that makes it kind of difficult. The other thing is that I, I have the kind of schedule and the kind of life where I can, all the things I like to do, I can get to them on the bus. So that's the other thing that's important. That That's not necessarily true for everybody, but 
in the kind of work I do, it's, it's proven to be the case for me. Have you discovered, what benefits have you discovered, I should ask, that, you know, living in Nashville without a car? Well, a first benefit is uh, you don't have a car note, you don't have maintenance costs, uh, you don't have to try to pay for parking downtown. Mm. Now, the negatives is you've got to organize your life around the buses. In other words, if you want to go somewhere, you've got to know what bus will take you there and whether, how long are you going to be there and whether the bus that you need to get back is still available. So that kind of cuts into nighttime things. Mm-hmm. If you're just tuning in, this is Citizen Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil A. Colonna. We're talking this hour about public transportation, and we'd love to hear from you. What has your experience been navigating our city? What questions do you have about public transit? Tweet transit. Treat, tweet us at This Is Nashville. My guests are Ron Wynn and Christopher Floor. Both have lived in this city without a car for many years. Now, Chris, you work at multiple schools, correct? Yes. So um, five years ago in 2017, I got promoted to a uh, central office now known as the support hub um, to a support hub role. And that does involve working in multiple buildings. So I actually have five schools that are assigned to me. And then there's a number of other metro related buildings that I might have to be at on any given day. Well, how do you get around where you need to go using WeGo? So... That really depends on what my day is looking like. Uh, If I have like a very hard start to my workday, like if there's a meeting right out of the gate, chances are I'm not going to use WeGo. I'll probably use something that's very definitive and reliable, like Lyft. I'll know when the Lyft is coming to get me. I can schedule the Lyft the night before and have it come and pick me up. And so nine times out of 10, if if there's a lot of stuff happening in my morning, then I'll be taking Lyft. And it it varies from building to building. So I live in East Nashville, East Nashville Magnet High School. Great school is one of the schools that I work at. I'll walk to East Nashville Magnet High School and get my steps in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maplewood High School, I take a bus to. Pearl Cohen, I take a bus to. Uh, The only two buildings that I really have to develop a carpool strategy for are White's Creek, because it's a little more towards the edge of the county. And then Robertson Academy, where the Department of Exceptional Ed is based, because that's also towards the edge of the county. Now, before I moved here, I was an avid bus rider in every city I've lived in. One thing I've encountered was people's judgments and negative attitudes about taking the bus. Ron, have you ever experienced any any negativity for taking the bus? Not much. Uh, Fortunately, I guess because most of my friends know I do it and uh, they've never really said anything uh, negative about it. But I would say that there is uh, a a, I want to use I guess I've used the term stigma. Mm -hmm. There is a stigma that some people have about bus riders. The feeling is that uh, either you are afraid to drive or uh you just, I don't know why there is that, but I have seen that in other places. Now, Chris, what about you? What misconceptions do people have about taking the bus? So uh, I definitely have, it, I, I wouldn't say I, I have encountered negativity. I have at times encountered some condescension. Mm. Um, But anytime you encounter that, you have to remember that when someone's doing that, they're trying to feel better about themselves. And that really doesn't have anything to do with me. And so I just have to kind of brush that off of me. 
Um, I, I really try to ground myself in, in the environmental questions of all of this. And the fact of the matter is, is that it's better for the environment when we are one driving less or using uh, multiple rider options like buses or trains, et cetera. And, and that's really what I focus on whenever somebody has something interesting to say about it. <laughs> I like the way you put that. Now, how, how about dating? Have either one of you ever taken someone on a date? On the bus? <laughs> uh, fortunately, no. Uh, I, I've been uh, lucky in that regard in that uh, the person that uh, I've been involved with has been very wonderful about, they have a car and, and, and they, when we, when we first started, we would alternate. But okay. after my car got stolen and uh, she had to, to pick up the, uh, the driving in, been very, very good about that. Now, we kind of have an arrangement. We go places that limit the amount of driving okay. that she has to do because we're both uh, up in the age now. Yes, sir. So, but, so short answer to your question, no. <laughs> Chris, what about you? So that is a, that is a very interesting question. Um, typically, if I'm just getting to know somebody, uh, I, we will designate a place to meet and I'll take a car there. Um, if I'm a little bit deeper into the relationship and we're going places together, usually I'll rely on the lift. I guess that's because you want to pull all the stops out for a partner or somebody yeah. special. Yeah. Uh, I did have a relationship a couple of years ago where I, 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 when I went through that job transition, we initially relied on his vehicle to do the commuting. And that did, I think, apply some unnecessary pressure to the relationship. So it, it definitely has had an impact. I, I can say that it's had an impact. I've done but no, it. I'm going to pull out all the stops. If, if we're going somewhere, there's a car coming to get you. I'm not going <laughs> to. I've, I've done it twice. The first time it worked out because we actually met on the bus. The second time we went to go see Napoleon Dynamite. I'm like, let's take the bus. And she looked at me like, are you crazy? Um, but I love the movie anyway. I saw it alone. OK, so after the break, we're going to invite a few local experts to field listener ideas and questions about public transit and why our city is the way it is. We've got Kathy Carrillo from Walk Bike Nashville and Jessica. Dolphin from Transit Alliance of Middle Tennessee. Chris, what questions do you have for them about public transport transit? Ooh, what questions? Uh, well, what are the plans? Uh, I know that there's been a lot of conversation about uh, diversifying public transportation in the city. And I know that we've encountered a lot of barriers to uh, executing those plans, whether that's, you know, doing the um, bus rep transit lanes or kind of putting together some rail lanes uh, or some rails throughout the city. So, so what are the current plans and then how do we plan to encounter some of the external barriers like all of the political goings on that are coming out from the outer counties and the money coming in from the outer counties to kind of stop these things from happening. So what would you like to see from the city when it comes to our public transportation system? So more routes, more frequent routes. And if we could go towards some type of if we could implement a few light rail lines that went straight into downtown, that could be helpful. That could definitely be helpful. I would love to see that. That is Christopher Floor, an exceptional education coach and bus user. Chris, thanks so much for being with us today. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll invite those experts to answer your questions about public transit. Is it working for you? How do you get around? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. 
I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Citizen Nashville. Today, we've been talking about getting around our town without a car. As we heard in our last segment, in Nashville, the primary mode of public transit is the bus. And some people, they rely on bikes or even walking. Now I'd like to invite a few folks who were born and raised here in Nashville who have dedicated their lives to our public transit. Kathy Carrillo is the Education and Engagement Manager at Walk Bike Nashville, and Jessica Dolphin is with Transit Alliance of Middle Tennessee and TCLA, the Transit Citizen Leadership Academy. Thank you both for being here with us today. Jessica, I'd like to start with you. Our metro budget was recently passed. We had an episode last week about that, and a few of our guests talked about how budgets reflect a city's priorities. So I'm curious, Mm. how did public transportation fare? Um, A little bit of both ways, right? First, I want to say thank you for having me and inviting me to this important conversation. You did a great um, job on that first segment highlighting the challenges and benefits of taking transit in Nashville. Um, I loved listening to your other guests. Uh, but in, in terms of how the, the budget, how we go fair in the budget, it, it's the mayor, the mayor's budget proposed just under 63 million. Um, and the council wound up taking 1 million away from we go to put towards some priorities in um MNPS, our public school system, which was needed. Uh, And so while it's not the end of the world to have a $1 million cut, I would say that it's indicative and illustrative of the struggles that WeGo has in terms of getting a reliable funding stream in order to get those more frequent uh, routes, to get those more routes, and, and even, you know, looking further down the road, even trying to get to a a light rail or bus rapid transit to um, your other guests' comments. Is that, in your opinion, is that the main reason and the main source of kind of the frustrations of WeGo and its development, this constant, you know, budgetary shifting? It is one of the, it is one of the main ones. Absolutely. I, I mean, you can't, how can we plan on building better infrastructure for mobility if we can't plan on what we're going to have in the budget next year. Mm. Now, funding is something you talk about with your work for the Transit Citizen Citizen Leadership Academy. Tell me, what's the goal of the academy? The goal of the academy is to give participants the tools, resources, and network to move the needle on this particular issue. Um, to our point, to our conversation about, you know, the improvements that we need, the the benefits that it provides today, but the challenges it also presents in terms of the wayfinding and the bus bus bays lining up with the numbers and uh, maybe not enough frequent routes, not enough routes um, and that sort of thing all stem from inadequate funding, right? It's not WeGo's fault. Um, they are doing a great job with the funding that they receive. Um, but but to look forward into the future and, and to build better infrastructure for our mobility, we have got to seriously look at our budgeting and dedicated funding sources, which, by the way, Nashville is one of the last, if not the last, um, larger city without dedicated funding for transit. Hmm. I'm curious, do you think Nashville is a car town? Mm, that's a terrible question. <laughs> <laughs> is it terrible because like, it's tough? If 
well, if, if I say yes, uh, you know, I, yeah. I don't, I don't want to demonize a particular mode of transportation, right? That's not the point because, um, we want roads safe for all users. We just want a better network of, um, multimodal transportation, including buses, bike lanes, and, and sidewalks, crosswalks and that, and, um, to, 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 to be able to get back and forth, you know, to your, from your, um, home or wherever to the bus and then back again. Right. So you, you've got to have that in intermediary space that's safe, um, to get there and back. Kathy, I see you're nodding your head. What about you? I mean, I think for as long as I've lived here, it's been a car town. The reality of how the city has been set up and the infrastructure, um, it's been a car town for me. Right. I think, um, we have seen the way other big cities have grown and how they've prioritized public transportation and different modes of transportation. Um, and we have not seen that same development happen in Nashville, right? Yeah, in, pre in preparation for this show and listening to you all today, I was thinking in my past life, I'm like, you know, I'd love to go car free Absolutely. in Nashville, but oh, it doesn't, yeah. doesn't right. seem yeah. feasible as of yet because my cats are also high maintenance. <laughs> but, you know, how can people who do have a car take better advantage of the bus system, Kathy? I think it starts with understanding that a lot of times the stigma, like uh, our previous guests were talking about, has to do with class and has to do with who's taking the bus system. Um, and the reality of it is that we have to look beyond that, right? We don't, we can't live with this idea that it's just poor people that use the bus. It's just people that have DUIs that use the bus. There's this constant criminalization. There's constant association with uh, lack of money, lack of resources that goes along with using the bus. And I think that one of the greatest opportunities that we've had recently um, is the development of the new soccer stadium, right? right? And understanding that because there's lack of parking, you have to to find different ways to access these resources or these entertainment options. Um, and all of a sudden now the conversation of buses and the conversation of bicycles and the conversation of sidewalks is coming uh, into that mainstream venue of like, well, I want to get to a game. Well, it's not just about the game. It's about how you get to work, how you get to the library, how you get to your doctor's appointment, how you get to anything and putting yourselves in that mind frame of that culture shift that has to happen in order for us to say, you know what, we're going to do what's best, not just for our wallets because gas is expensive, Yes. not just what's best for our health because all that car use does affect our air quality mm -hmm. um, and not just what's best um, for myself, but what's best for community. Now you grew up using public transportation, right? I grew up both. I did a my family is, I'm a first generation Peruvian immigrant. My family um, was uh, house cleaners and my father worked in construction. And so oftentimes one of the hard parts about using public transportation, especially in the past, was the lack of language accessibility. Mm. It took my mom so long to figure out how to get from Madison to downtown for a lot of her jobs because she didn't understand how to read the bus maps if the bus, you know, a lot of the stuff wasn't in Spanish. And for my dad, a lot of times he couldn't take the bus routes. He couldn't have the option to learn the routes because his construction sites changed all the time. So, I mean, you'd have to learn a couple of maps and routes to be able to get to where you need to get to make the money for your family. Did that inspire the work you do today? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the advocacy, the education, allowing people to voice and talk about the dangers, not just of public transportation, but of walking and biking, mm. right? Today, to, uh, from year to date, 
Last year, we had 15 pedestrian deaths, no cyclist deaths. Right now, like year to date, it is 20 pedestrian deaths and two cyclist deaths. We are on the path to breaking that record. This isn't just about getting places. This is about the safety of people's lives. And that's absolutely the one of the most important things as a Nashville native to me. So we've been soliciting questions and comments from the community about public transit. John Rubin Medina is a bus rider who wrote in asking for more consistent bus schedules. Jessica, what would that take? Well, see, this is what the up and down roller coaster uh, budget process presents to us, right? It undermines trust from the riders because you get a good year and you can beef up service and then you get a bad year. For instance, a few years ago, the budget was cut $20 million. Um, So then you have to cut some service, right? Or reroute some service. And then you lose riders that way. And um, that's, again, I can draw this straight line back to funding. If we had more reliable uh, funding, like dedicated funding sources, then we would know how to um, arrange the services that that wouldn't undermine trust, but would build trust for riders. Now, freelance writer and bus writer Ron Wynn is still with us. Ron, what would you like to see change about the WeGo schedule? Well, I, I guess I'd like to see it uh, resemble more. Uh, I used to work in Boston, and uh, that's where my first introduction to public transportation came, because there it actually was uh, encouraged. I mean, they would, they would, they would, you know, there'd be uh, announcements and stuff. Where they would urge people to. Get on the get on the red line and get on the get on the, the blue line. Uh, use subway, just to help with the congestion and 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 the gridlock and stuff. So I'd like to see more uh, encouragement made throughout the city to get people to understand that this is something that can benefit you and can, that can benefit the city. I guess the second thing I'd like to see, and and some of that I'm already seeing is. Uh, more extensive service at night. Mm. You know, that that's a, a, a major thing. You can't get to certain places at night on the bus after eight o'clock. It used to be after six o'clock, you know. So uh and then also better service on the weekend. Uh, on the weekend there's some places that, that you still have a hard time getting to. When I first started riding the bus, you couldn't get to Hermitage or Bellevue on the weekend. Now that's changed now. But it's still not as extensive as it needs to be. And if you live in those areas and you want to use the bus, well, what do you do on the weekend? Yeah, good luck. Yeah. You know, we also heard from listeners like Scott Cornett raising issues about the routes themselves. As it stands right now, where does our public transit go? Where does it reach, Jessica? Well, it depends on which direction you're going. I get that. Um, (laughs) Right. But it reaches pretty far out. Uh, I know our paratransit service from WeGo uh, goes county line to county line, which they're not uh, mandated for that. They do that because they want to provide a a good and reliable service uh, for those who need paratransit. Um, The fixed route services, though, you know, I'm I can't quote you the miles out. Um, I know that it. We do also have RTA, the Regional Transit Authority, uh, which is also called WeGo. Uh, and it goes, they will go to Dixon and Murfreesboro, Springfield, Franklin. Those those are the express buses that go out into the region and come back, including the uh, WeGo Star that goes out to Lebanon and back. 
So we haven't talked much about bikes yet, something our listener Samuel Ruiz wrote about. He says, the main thing that I would love to see is a dedicated bike lane network where bike lanes are separated from the road and raised up like a sidewalk. Just painting a line on a large road meant for cars going 40, 50 miles an hour is way too dangerous. And, you know, Kathy Samuel brings up a really good point. There are a lot of cars in this town and people, I'm not going to say we, but people drive pretty fast around here. You know, you you all looked into traffic volume and speed back in 2020, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. What did you guys find? I, so what we found was that there were a lot of um, what we call arterials and a lot of roads in which the traffic speeds are still 40 and 50. Um, and these are the same roads that have uh, share row, which is basically not a line at all. It is where cars and bikes have to share the same road. And because if you have a speed limit where a car is a car is allowed to go 40 or 50 on that same road, where a cyclist is only able to go maybe 10, 15, um, and that's if they're a great cyclist, you know, you obviously have um, just the perfect recipe for disaster, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you, we see that the city and National Department of Transportation is doing a lot of work by sharing their Vision Zero plan, sharing uh, their walk and bike plan about all of these new projects that are going to come. And we know that there's going to be bike lanes on um, Woodland. There's going to be bike lanes or on 8th Avenue. Like all of these projects that we had dreamed of years ago is happening. But the question still remains, what is going to happen on the outskirts? Right. What about South Nashville? What about North Nashville? What about Madison? What about all these places where we know are high injury networks, right? Where we know that these pedestrian deaths and these cyclist deaths are occurring. Why are we prioritizing more recreational areas in our city instead of the areas where we know the traffic for pedestrians and cyclists is? Um, we should be putting up, like our listener said, um, raised areas. We should be putting up um more lines we should be putting up. Uh, We should be enforcing slower speed rates. And I think that that's such a controversial conversation when people talk about um, lowering speeds and it's because people think, oh, well, that's that's just going to cause more traffic. Well, if there are less cars, then there's less traffic. You know, go ride your bike. Then you don't have to sit in traffic. Then you can sit and ride that bike lane all the way down while everybody's sitting in their car, you know, and enjoy the fresh air. Well, what what do we need to do to make this a truly bikeable city? Well, we we need to, and this goes back to that conversation of the budget, we need to be talking about how much money is going into infrastructure. We need to be talking about um, how we are getting involved in our own communities and advocating and talking to our council people about like, hey, I need to see lower, we want to see lower um, speed limits in these areas for the protection of people, right? But lowering 20, if you go, uh, the comparison of lowering 20 uh, miles per hour, how fast you're driving, increases the chances of somebody being hit by 70%. Mm. Isn't that incredible? And so it's a mentality. We have to change our mentality um, to how we get involved amongst each other, because it's not just about me sitting in traffic each and every day. It's about who's sitting next to me. It's about the family that lives next to me. It's about the neighbor that has to walk because they can't afford a car. It's about the coworker that has to ride the bus. It's about the cyclist that needs the fresh air, right? It's about the kids that need the safe routes to school so that their parents can feel safe sending them and walking to school. It's about all of that. And it starts with a change mentality and then finding a local organization uh, like Walk Back Nashville, like the um, Transit Alliance to get involved in and step in and say, okay, now how can I take the next step and use my voice? Mm -hmm. Right. We heard from Dottie who moved here from Boston. 
where she says the commuter rail was indispensable. She writes that she would like to see that kind of buy-in for this kind of service in Nashville. This makes me think about the rejected referendum in 2018, which the last time we saw a push for an upgrade of public transit. Transit, Jessica, you know, do you yes. feel like our officials are truly invested in upgrading public transit? Transit. Some of them are. Uh, some of them are more invested than others, of course. Um, what it really takes uh, is to, uh, her point, is, is for folks to get involved and for the advocacy to start really sounding the alarm that this is critical um, to to our to enhance our personal quality of life. Right. Uh, I gave a TEDx, and in it, I I start, I say that individual freedoms are directly tied to mobility. And we need to be able to be mobile around our city in a, in a freedom-ish way, right? I, I shouldn't be stuck at home because I, I don't have an, my own car. Um, what do you what want the, the question? What do you want the people to leave today's show with? That we that there is a better way uh, to be mobile around the city. We just really need to focus up and. Um, start talking about it more like this show I think has been a really great show I've heard a lot of great ideas a lot of stuff that I know has been talked about and is 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 trying to to catch you know uh footing in terms of maybe moving toward another referendum at some point we can't wait forever uh we have to start making these investments now preferably these kinds of of mobility infrastructure that we're talking about they're they're not something that can be built overnight in a week or even in a couple of months these take years to build right even a bus uh, a bus only lane a bus rapid transit lane that's not a quick build it, it's going to take some time so the longer we wait the more expensive it becomes right mm-hmm. um and and the longer the longer horizon uh time horizon event horizon for us to actually be able to use it and if we want to ensure nashville's um long-term resilience and sustainability then we have to have this conversation and we have to come to terms with the fact we have to fund it. That is Jessica Dolphin of the Transit Alliance of Middle Tennessee. She was joined by Kathy Carrillo of Walk Bike Nashville and freelance writer and bus rider Ron Wynn. Thank you all so much for being with us. To quote the line from the movie CB4, if you take that bus, you get there. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, Baristas Unite, the people who make you delicious coffee drinks are unionizing. Tomorrow, we'll get the drip. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org. Our producers are Steve Farouche, Andrea, Rose Gilbert, Tasha A.F. Lemley, and Anna Gallegos Cannon is our technical director. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. I'm Khalil Colono. We love you. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody, and be good to each other.